This is the Honest CEO Show, hosted by the Honest CEO, Caroline Kennedy. Get ready to be informed, inspired, and motivated by the honest stories from passionate, extraordinary business people who share their ups and downs and their learnings on the journey to building success in business. Welcome, and my guest today is Sarah Bartholomews, and she is a South Australian lawyer, entrepreneur, and author. In 2014, Sarah started U Legal, a new category of law firm that has revolutionised the way clients access legal services and how lawyers work. Focusing on a gap in the market and the evolving nature of law firms with technological breakthroughs, the virtual firm provides top-tier corporate and commercial concierge legal services and corporate governance support to ASX-listed companies, as well as growing businesses at all stages of their life cycle. In 2015, Sarah released her first book, How to Avoid a Fall from Grace, Legal Lessons for Directors, which was ranked a number one bestseller on Amazon after it's released. She is currently working on her second book, which she hopes to release in late 2016. She also contributes regularly to the CEO magazine and the Dynamic Business website. In 2015, Sarah was the recipient of the South Australian Telstra Business Women's Award in the startup category for You Legal. Congratulations, Sarah, on building a highly successful business and your amazing achievements to date. Thank you. <laughs> now, and you've done it in such a short time as well. You've you've grown quickly, haven't you? Yeah, it's been a little bit overwhelming, but I think we're going in the right direction. Oh, I'm sure you are. So tell us, where did it all begin? Well, I was made redundant when I was seven months pregnant with my second baby. Wow. Um, so, you know, not an ideal time to have change. And that same week I found out my dad had cancer. So it was all a lot of drama, really. Um, and uh, the day after I lost my job, I started working as a consulting lawyer with one core client and that I worked for them two days a week and I worked that two-day period over five days, which is great. When you're seven months pregnant, you can't sit down for long. No. <laughs> so having that flexibility was great for me and it was great for them too because I was around when they needed me and I just thought, this is a fantastic way to work. How can I give this to other lawyers and other clients? Great. That's how it started. Wonderful. Well, you know, I think that um, you identified, I suppose, a need for something like this and there was certainly demand. And as a result, your firm has grown 400% in the first year, which is significant. It's amazing. And you now have over 20 staff um, and offices Australia-wide. So tell us, how did you grow so quickly? I think... um like what you just said, there was an opportunity. Um, Clients really understand that lawyers don't need to all sit in an office of 200 people 
to be effective. They want access to a senior lawyer and we just give that straight to clients without having to deal with a hierarchy. Um, so I think it, it's a needs-based kind of result, that explosion, and listening to what clients need. We do that. Yeah, yeah. And how did... And- how did you find your clients? Like, how did they come to you? Because I think that that's a big challenge for a lot of businesses out there. Um, well, we identified like who it was that our lawyers traditionally had acted for. So we have all top tier lawyers. They've all got between five and ten years experience in like those big top tier law firms. So they're used to acting for bigger clients, and so. We just got in contact with people that we thought would, number one, fit our values and, number two, that um, we had the expertise in working with and they love that, you know, our rates are about 20% below those top-tier firms and they get the same lawyer. Yeah, yeah. And and I think the important thing there is that, uh, from my perspective anyway, and I think with any business, is that you looked for companies that aligned with your values. Definitely. Which is really a strong leader for positioning yourself in business as well and going after client types because if you don't have that same value alliance, it can be really challenging. It can be tough. And one of the things that we don't do is litigation. So we really look for clients that want to future-proof their businesses, not that want to fight with other people. So I started (laughs) out in litigation and I was just miserable because I was fighting with people all the time, fighting for my clients, with my clients about how much things cost, with my partners about how, how much we were billing and... Yeah, it's sort of very confusing, whereas when we work to build up people's businesses, we focus on making them right for the future and minimising their risks. And people who are interested in doing that are absolutely aligned value-wise with us, which is fantastic. Yeah. Now, you've also written a book, How to Avoid a Fall from Grace, Legal Lessons for Directors. So tell us a little bit about that. One thing I found when I started my business was I had clients that were moving from one job to another and being asked to be directors and um, I kept getting asked, well, what are my duties? Like, what are my risks? And I was like, well, it's not really a two-page memo sort of conversation. (laughs) And so based on that, I wrote a series of blogs, which is one thing we engage quite a lot with our community on social media. So I wrote the blogs for the social media and our website and then realised there was more to it and put them together in the form of a book. So, yeah, it's been really good. And Not the sexiest kind of subject matter. But, but it's, it's still important. When people need it, it's important, yes. Yeah, of course. I, I, I met the Prime Minister earlier this year and I gave him a copy. Did you? <laughs> I said, Read this book before it's too late. <laughs> that would have been an interesting conversation, I can imagine. <laughs> now, what I see is different um, for your business, you legal, compared to other businesses out there, is that you're really about educating the community on uh, the pitfalls of 
the legal aspects of their business. And as you said before, you blog and you do regular videos and you're you're constantly engaging and educating, giving your, in theory, your IP away to help businesses without asking for anything in return, which is really unique in your particular industry, isn't it? I think that's true. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of other law firms that, go to quite the extent that we do in that respect. Yeah, but it really helps with building, I suppose, that authority, but also about building those connections with your customers and just helping people in general, trying to do the right thing and engage and add value where you can. So good on you for doing that. Thank you. Yeah, we send out a newsletter um, once a fortnight um, to our community and I always love it when they write back and say, I sent it to this person because like, they're going through that at the moment or like it's great to get that feedback. Yeah, absolutely. Now you were invited to speak at this year's TEDx event held at the With Sundays in May. Oh, wow. Ooh, how yeah. exciting and such a... Um, an honour, I suppose, for you and a credit to you that they've invited you. So tell you. tell us about that. How was it? Well, yeah, I got a call from the organisers and they said, do you want to speak at TEDx? And I was like, what do you want me to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> so she said she wanted me to talk about how to turn a no into a yes. And so my talk is about that. It's about possibilizing how I took something that was impossible and how entrepreneurs all take something that's impossible and the steps they go through to make it possible. Yeah. Now, I also doing some research, um, looked at possibilizing and, and your theory behind it, a philosophy, which is about uh, how it enables people to take something which seems impossible and creates a reality. So yes. tell us about that. Okay, so there's three steps to possibilizing. And the first step, is this what you're interested in hearing, what the steps are? Yeah, in a, absolutely. In a, short, a, short, <laughs> a short summary. And then people, if they're interested, can go and watch the video, which will be online, I think, in the next week or so, so soon. Um, so the first step to possibilizing is to create a language for it. So in the absence of... In something, when something seems impossible, um, creating a unique language for it can help it seem more possible, especially if you get people to use it. So, for example, in New Legal, we call our lawyers advocates. Hmm. And that helps people know that it's not just an everyday law firm. The second step to possibilizing is finding something your idea is like. So we say you legal is like Apple's genius bar, but for commercial clients that need lawyers. And the reason for that is in both of those circumstances, uh, somebody who has a need comes to us or an Apple genius in an Apple store and explains their problem and then someone solves it. Mm, I like that. And the final step to possibilizing is to engage others. So an idea just on its own is an idea, but an idea shared by others becomes a movement. And a movement is something that is much harder 
to stop than someone with an idea. So, for example, in New Legal, we have two sets of, of movements. We have a client movement, which you said just exploded from nothing to over 200 in two years. And we have the lawyer side as well, which we started out with just me on my own. Um, and then we added one and then we added 15 and then we added 20. So <laughs> that's, yeah, sort of you can see the momentum. And that happens in the same way that a dance floor starts. So one person starts on their own and then someone else joins them and there's two people and then someone else joins them and then a whole lot of people join them and everyone's dancing together as one. Yeah, and I really, you know, I love that concept and you've broken it down into really easy to understand steps and then bringing that back to give examples based on your business, which is perfect because, again, all of what you've just described here comes back to um, your values, but also, you know, your blog and how you communicate and you actually want to engage others. And, you, yes. you know, and, and to add that value. So it's a perfect alignment with your business. Well, of course it would be because you came up with it. So <laughs> now, um, possibilizing, I believe that you just trademarked that. Is that correct? Oh, I did. I trademarked the word um, possibilize and possibilizing. And it's also been added to the dictionary, which if you watch my TED Talk, You'll see it's one of my aims to have it added to the dictionary by the end of 2016 and here we are halfway through. Well done. That's a big tick. Thank you. <laughs> and what I'll do is when your um, TED Talk is up, I'll also add a link to the, um, to the podcast area. Yeah, exactly. So people can go and watch it. Now, you won the South Australian Telstra Business Women's Award for Startup um in last year, which was what, 2015? I don't know what year we're yeah. in. And you'd only been in business quite a short while, yet again, you've grown quite significantly. But tell us about that experience and what that meant to you. Oh, it was an incredible experience just um, in terms of the people that I've met being, um opened my, my eyes Australia-wide to some business brilliant businesswomen, um, but also like I know so many of my mentors and people I look up to in business like Carolyn Creswell and um, Naomi Simpson and Kelly Baker-Jameson, all former winners and just amazing what they've done since, since being recognised by Telstra. Yeah. So very flattering. Yes, absolutely, and especially to be in a, an environment like that where, you know, there are people that have come before you are, and are highly successful, but even just to be recognised by Telstra for your contribution to, to business is, is significant and, and particularly given that, you know, you, you haven't been running your business for very long, so it is a great achievement. Uh, well done. Thank you. Now, what was the, what were the biggest lessons that you've learnt so far in business? That's a good question. I think the first one is to always back yourself. So, I think, like, I think 
that being in business is one of the best ways to develop yourself as far as self-development goes. Um, and I think sometimes I haven't really got behind the momentum I've created because I've been worried about cash flow or worried about things taking off faster than I'm ready for. Yeah. Um, but I have a fantastic community of other entrepreneurs and people who've been there before through Telstra and other activities that I've been involved in now. So that helps manage it, getting other people's experiences and going along with it, which I think is another very important thing that I've learned, to learn from the masters, <laughs> learn from people who've done it before. Absolutely. And I agree with that 100%. It's something that I adapt in my business life, particularly around learnings. Um, And I Mm. love to learn and develop continually to the point where I'm a little bit obsessed by it and I shouldn't. (laughs) shouldn't, I spend too much time on it. But I absolutely believe in uh, the looking at people who've been successful at what you want to do, contacting Mm. them and asking them about that and learning from them about that or even just uh, watching what they've done and actually yeah, replicating yeah. it, you know, because it's you could be scrambling in business, mm. running around, but if people have done it already, emulate what they've done, learn from what they've done and replicate it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Another thing um, is just to really listen to your clients as well. We've developed a, a fixed price policy product where we go into newly AFX listed companies and other companies and look at all their policies and find where the risks are for the leaders. So one of the big risks in, in a business is not having a policy framework. Yep. Um, so and, and that's what we found by talking to about 100 CFOs in February this year. So we've done a pilot project and we've developed it and um, yeah, I'm hoping that's one of the things I was afraid of taking off too quickly because every CFO I mentioned to was like, yeah, we need that. <laughs> like, oh, okay, well, let's do it then. That really surprises me um, and particularly because I've been a CEO of multi-million dollar businesses and yes. from my perspective, a policy structure is the foundation of a business related to transparency within the organisation and setting the right expectations up front so that you can really give some structure, particularly to the people around you and they know what the company's yeah. about and, 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 and they know what's expected. True. And they know like where their delegation is and when they need permission for things and how much they can spend for dinner if they are travelling for work and all that sort of like minutia but important. Oh no, it's nonetheless, very important because it could be chaotic with individuals just doing whatever they wanted um, yes. without or having what they f- think okay without reference to anything. Yeah, yeah absolutely, without that framework for. Um, I suppose, that framework to follow. So this is what my second book's about. I think I've already got a buyer in you. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it sounds like there's a lot of demand out there for it, which is great. And sometimes the 
Organisations will have policies in place anyway and it can be about just reviewing those policies and exactly. updating them and making sure they're relevant. And sure, yeah, and making sure they all tell the same story, like they're consistent throughout the policies and throughout the organisation. So they're relevant, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Now you're a mum to two beautiful kids. How do you <laughs> how do you balance family life with building and running a highly successful and I'm sure very demanding business? I must tell you that my husband has been overseas for two weeks. He's back later this week, and it has been incredibly tough without him. So he is a major support for me um, in terms of managing the kids and the amount of housework that kids create. I know. Um, so, yeah, it, I've been writing the book between, like, when they go to bed and when I go to sleep um, because during the day I'm in meetings or flying into state or, um, yeah, I've got time commitments. So, yeah, it's just a matter of prioritising and I do have a much better support network in my team now than I did initially so I can ask people to help me with things whereas in the very beginning I couldn't I just didn't have them yeah no one to delegate to (laughs) yeah very tough Mm, especially when you wear all of the hats in business it's something I've actually just recorded a video on yesterday for business owners around that especially small business owners wearing all those hats and the key to be able to, because if you don't have employees within your business, how do you outsource and what are the key tools you can use to outsource? Because otherwise it can get extremely overwhelming to the point where a lot of people just give up because it is so overwhelming. And as you mentioned before, prioritizing is key to that as well, particularly when running a business because, if you don't prioritise, and and I say this a lot, but prioritise what is going to grow your business, where is your income going to come from, are you focusing on those revenue generating activities, yeah, definitely. which are integral to the success of your business as opposed to the activities such as ordering stationery and, you know, and, and looking at how you can go about outsourcing that. And I do, I remember when I first started, like, just thinking, look, I'm a great COO because of my attention to risk and creation of procedures, (laughs) but a COO and a CEO are very different, so I think I've very much had to grow into that role, obviously quite quickly, but um, nevertheless, it's still a learning, learning journey, and that's Hmm. And what do you think are the the key learnings in bridging that gap? I think just working out, like like you said, in small business, you do have to be everything. But if you're not focusing on what clients want and giving that to them so that your revenue can grow, then you can't focus on who to delegate to because you don't have any money. And without customers or clients, you don't have a business. Yeah, absolutely. And I say that all the time. Um, Without your customers, your clients, you absolutely do not have a business. So they have to be your priority at all times, regardless of, 
you know, of of what you're doing and what's required, you have to look at how do I, I suppose, deliver on their expectations and continue to grow mm. my business and generate that revenue so that I can grow and have people to delegate to. Yes. Is there anything else you think you've learned during that process or that Probably a million things. <laughs> Just selling them, isn't it? I know. Yeah. Um, yeah, nothing else that comes to mind as immediately as without customers who don't have a business. Yeah, which <laughs> at the end of the day is everything anyway. <laughs> what advice do you have for anyone struggling in business? That's a good question as well. Um, I, like, I really do think it comes down to, like, one, working out who you want your customers or clients to be and two, talking to them about what it is that they need, like, listening to their problems. And if you are a business, you probably already know what their problems are and just working, like, writing down what their problems are and writing out how you can solve them and then talking to them and finding out if that's what they need, like, if that, if that does solve a problem for them. Yeah. And, and I think... To that point is as well, not making the assumptions about what their problems are about, which a lot of business owners do. And that's where they find it really challenging because they make an assumption as opposed to just simply asking the question. Yeah, pick up the phone. Yeah, and asking the question regularly, when I talk about regularly, you know, a minimum once a year as well to ensure that you remain relevant because in this technological age, everything is changing and shifting so quickly and and it's it's integral to a business's success to ensure that they remain relevant and relevant to their customer base. So one thing to do that is one one thing we do in our team is not me, but someone in my team calls our clients a couple of times a year and asks them what we should start doing, stop doing and keep doing. And it's a really good kind of pulse check to see like if we're giving people what they expect and what they want and like what else we could be doing that would help. And, you know, the law is a difficult area because it is it's highly regulated business environment mm. unlike a lot of other businesses um and rightly so because you know, people come to us with in general that they're, they're things that are very important in their lives and they need to know that that's taken seriously by the lawyers I see um so I think I went off on a bit of a tangent there but no, it's all relevant. Keep asking, keep asking your clients and, yeah, start, stop, keep. Start, stop, keep has been a great one for me. Yeah, that's a good tip. Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> and finally, what does the future look like for you? Ah, for me or for you legal? A bit of both, I think. You are you legal, aren't you? Uh, at the moment, yes. So we're rolling out you risk which is um, another, like, that, that's what the policy documentation will be prepared in, so Growth Shield. Um, and we're looking at rolling out new account, new financial, so an accounting business, a financial services business. So just the way that services are delivered in Australia can be transformed and should be transformed. Yeah. Mm. 
And you personally, so, you're writing your book? Yes, writing. Uh, it's called Kingpin, Legal Lessons from the Underworld. And it's policy lessons, what we've been talking about, um, that we can learn from some of the most notorious drug dealers. Wow. Of all time. Interesting. Yeah. I love the title. Thank you. So, so drug dealers operate their businesses in environments of extreme hostility. Mm. And they have to be extremely creative. So I'm just interested and sort of obsessed at the moment with looking at like what can leaders in companies learn from them. And there are so many lessons. And how are you doing this research? <laughs> um, <laughs> libraries, internet. Okay. Um, You're not going out yeah. there actually sitting with them one-on-one. No. On one. <laughs> no, and that's an interesting thing that we've learned is that most research on drug dealers is about the people who are on the street doing the deals because they're really easy to access and they're mostly doing it either to... Um, feed their habit or earn some money. So they're quite easy to, to connect with, apparently, for research purposes. <laughs> so mine, um, some of them are no longer with us. Some of them are incarcerated. Um, some of them are no longer incarcerated. So um, we're not going to speak to them directly, but we are um, doing research about them. And a lot of them have a lot of legends around them, of course. So trying to establish what they actually did versus what the legends are is also a, a challenge. But I think there's lessons in the legends as well, in the way that there's lessons in Bible stories that might be simply stories. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. It would be an interesting fact-finding um, mission to be on at the moment. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to reading your book. Thank you. When do you think uh, it will be out? Um, I've been working with the publisher to get him the first manuscript by the end of June, so I'm hoping to release it in October. Great. Well, I'm, I look forward to it. It'll be an interesting <laughs> read, definitely. Thank you so much for your time, Sarah, and congratulations for everything that you've achieved. You must be really proud and certainly the business is a credit to you and to your tenacity as well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Been loving, loving your podcast. So very um, excited to be invited. Oh, thank you so much. Glad to have you here. Thank you for listening to The Honest CEO Show with Caroline Kennedy. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe on iTunes for your weekly dose on all things business. We've also made it easy for you by linking the subscribe to button on the virtual executive website. Caroline shares free business tools and resources there too. And if you're stuck and need some advice, book a free 30-minute session with Caroline or one of her team. Go to www.virtualexecutive.com.au and check it out.